security blanket. A blanket or other familiar item carried especially by a young child to provide reassurance and feeling of psychological security. So, the question is, does a security blanket actually provide security? Or just the feeling of security? And what are the chances that we might be confidently clinging to things that are just actually security blankets? Over the past two weeks, we have used two Latin terms that the reformers used to describe where our hope and our security should lie. We talked a couple of weeks ago about sola scriptura or scripture alone. And then last weekend, we talked about sola fide or by faith alone. And today we're going to talk about sola gratia or by grace alone. So if you're a note taker, write this down grace alone. Also, as you're doing that, you can go ahead and flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 because that's where we're going to kind of camp out today. Um, you can get real comfortable in Ephesians chapter 2 if you have one of those little Bible bookmarks things. Just go ahead and slide that dude down on in there because that's kind of where we're going to hang out. Before we go any further though, why don't we all just go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word. Let us not ever take that lightly or casually. Let us, with great weight, realize the opportunity and the privilege that we have to be able to open and read and learn and discover truth from your Holy Scripture. Lord, I pray that it not only is something that goes into our ears that our mind processes, but let it be something that illuminates, Lord, areas of our lives where we have had misunderstandings, Areas in our lives where we've had doubts, areas in our lives where we have had bad beliefs or bad uh, thoughts that we have brought wrong conclusions on. Lord, let your word and your Holy Spirit illuminate to us truth, and may that truth set each person free, whether they may be here in this room, whether they may be out in the commons area, or whether they may be watching online. I pray that your truth and your Holy Spirit do the work that no man can do and that is to penetrate a heart and to change a life and impact them, Lord, for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go into Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound very kind. doesn't sound very nice. I don't like hearing that. But just like any good story that you and I may hear, any good movie that you may watch, before the good news can be good, the bad news has to be bad, right? Because we have to understand how bad the bad news is for us to truly understand the richness of the good news. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do here. He's trying to explain this is how bad that things were for those of you who are now in Christ and those of us who have come into faith in Christ, 
Before we did that, this is where we were, because notice the verbiage that he uses. He's using past tense. He's saying, you were like this. You once walked this way. So he's speaking to a group of Christians. He's talking to people who have already come to faith in Christ, and he's saying, this is how you were before Christ, and you need to recognize that so you will remember where you have come from so that the good news that is truly good and gospel will still be good to you so you can see the richness and the depth of the good news. But just like any good story, think about it. Any good story, any good movie, like you think, how in the world is that character going to get out of this situation? And you're watching with anticipation, and it seems like hopeless. But you know he's going to get out of it because they made a sequel. And you're like, well, he doesn't die in this one. And so he's going to make it to the next one, right? And so because of that, you're, you're hopeful. You know this isn't the end of the story. You just have no idea how they're going to make it out of this one. And you're watching. And you're just on the edge of your seat to see what happens. And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is describing here. He's saying, listen, this is the bad part. This is the part that we once walked alienated from God, cut off from God. We had no communion, no conversation with God. Why? Because of our sin. He said, we were like children of wrath by nature. We just did whatever we wanted to do. Our mantra, our motto for life was whatever makes me happy, do it. Whatever feels good, do it. If it makes me happy and if it feels good, it can't be bad for me. So therefore, I'm just going to do whatever I want because I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy because my happiness is the end game anyways here. And we just want to heap upon ourselves whatever we want to do. He said, that's how before Christ you walk. That's how you live, satisfying, gratifying the desires of your mind and your flesh, he said. You were, you were thinking differently. You weren't thinking in line with God. You weren't thinking about what pleased God. Matter of fact, you were living in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body. He said, just doing whatever you wanted to do. And if you are a new creation, if you are born again with the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, if you are a follower of Christ that has repented, that has experienced a new birth and received by faith what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, then Paul is referring to you in the past tense, just like he was talking to those in Ephesus. But the humbling reality is, as if you have not put your faith in Christ, he's actually describing your present reality. You see, this fallen state was once all of our realities. It's just the way that we were by nature. Scripture says we were children of wrath. We did not do what pleased God. We did not want to please God. We did not want to live for God. We wanted to live for our own pleasures, for our own desires, for our own will. It was not, Lord, thy will be done. It was my will be done. And that was kind of the motto of our lives before Christ. But then when we meet Christ, something changes. But Paul here is describing a hopeless and helpless humanity without Christ. But we all in some way recognize we are helpless and hopeless. So here's what we do in response. All humanity recognizes this. I want you to understand this. Whether they can articulate it or not, they understand this at the very core of their being. They understand they're helpless and hopeless, so we try to fix it, is what we do. And so we'll do one of two things. We will either trust in Christ or we try to help ourselves. 
One of the two. That's really all it comes down to. And that's all that all of humanity is going to do. You, you could have never heard a sermon in your life, never been to church, never knew, what, never knew the name of Jesus, never knew a, any Bible verses. You may not even know John 3.16. It doesn't matter. There is still something in you that you are aware of that you feel this compulsion to have to try to fix something that's wrong because you know something is wrong. So here's how people who try to fix it themselves respond. They'll try to outdo that wrong by doing more good than they do wrong. This is where this whole karma-based system comes from. They try to outdo and pile up for themselves and store up for themselves all of these good merits here on earth so people will think well of them. So people will go, wow, you're good because we all want to know we're secure and that we're okay. That's really the question we're always asking if you, if you stop and think about it. Every one of us are asking the question at all times, am I okay? That's really what we're asking. When you got in your car today and you put, it, put the car in reverse to back out of your garage to get on the street, you check the mirrors. Why? You want to know you're okay. You want to know you're safe. As you're driving down the road, you want to know, am I safe? You're always looking around you. Am I safe? When you walk into any conversation, it may not be a physical safety issue, but you want to know, am I safe? Am I okay to enter in this conversation with this person? And I'm always asking that question in some way, shape, or form. Think about when you go in a movie theater, when you go into a restaurant, you look around, am I safe? We're always wanting to know if we're okay, if we're safe. And the thing is, is that because we're always looking for that, we're looking for something to tell us we're okay. Another person or a certain situation. Think about sometimes when, when, when you'll be in a place where you feel like, oh no, something, something kind of fishy is happening and you're, you're a little intimidated by maybe a situation, maybe an unruly customer in a certain restaurant or something and then the police show up. All of a sudden you're, you're okay, I'm okay now. We're looking. Am I safe? Is this a threat to me? Is this a threat to my family? And by nature, we're wired this way. And a lot of people put their hope of feeling okay, feeling secure, feeling peace in the fact that they want to try to create an environment themselves that makes them know and lets them know, I'm safe, I'm okay. And we'll do this by trying to do a bunch of good things because we all know we've done bad things. Like, we don't have to really be told that. We know we've done bad things. We know we've done wrong you can call it sin, you can call it crime, you can call it bad, but then we get into this class warfare where I haven't done as bad things as these people, or these people are worse than me, and I'm better than these people because of what I haven't done or what I have done. And we see this response in the world all the time of trying to somehow earn some sort of good standing in the community to let me know I'm okay. And you'll see people who do not know Christ, I, I mean, come on, people who do not know Christ who will do really, really awesome things for their fellow man. And they don't know Jesus. And that's wonderful. It's great that they do things for their fellow man. But those things that they do will not earn them right standing in the eyes of God. And that's the reality. It's not something that they can earn. I think about like these TV shows, and I know you've seen them too, where you'll see someone build a house for someone who maybe their roof was caving in and, and there's, you know, drafts blowing in and they're, they're, it's, it's a single mother raising, you know, four or five kids and your heart breaks as you hear the story and they cue up the music, right? And then you watch as this group of people all come together and they build this person a house and man, 
it just moves you. It warms your heart. Or when we see celebrities just, you know, just dote on people who, you know, they just wanted to give them something and maybe eliminate their debt or help them to go to college. And you're like, wow, that person is so philanthropic. That person is so generous. That is so much love. That is just so wonderful. So much care for your fellow man. Listen, it's all great and it's all good. But it doesn't make me a Christ follower just because I do those things. It doesn't make me right in the eyes of God. It doesn't mean I'm forgiven. It doesn't mean my eternity has changed. It doesn't, because what we try to do is we try to say, well, if I do enough good, God will surely look at that and go, you're okay. Because that's what we want to know. And there's nothing you and I could do in our own strength for God to look at us and go, yeah, you're okay. You're good. We couldn't do it in our own strength, no matter how hard we try. And we will try. Man, we'll try. And we'll put our security and our hope for feeling okay, for feeling safe, for feeling secure in what we can accomplish and what we can do. But the truth is, we cannot help ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And when we try to save ourselves, we try to become our own savior. We can't do it. We cannot in our own power, no matter how much good we try to do in this lifetime, we cannot overturn the truth that we are guilty of sin, guilty of trespasses, and we cannot escape the penalty of death by our good behavior or good works. We, we can't. We can try, but we cannot, no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we try to be. That is the bad news. The bad news is that we all start out that way. By nature, we're that way. We're doing whatever we think feels good or makes us look good, so we'll feel okay but the truth is we cannot help ourselves. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Because God's love changes everything. Let's keep reading Ephesians 2. He had to say the bad news. And now he's going to change here by saying, but God. You need to underline that, highlight that, circle it. Put stars beside it, exclamation marks beside it. Because that's the turning point in your life and my life. That's the turning point in our eternity in our eternity. That's the turning point in our relationship with God and in the way God views us is this but God in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raises us up with him and has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is great news. That is awesome news because of his love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, not when we started trying to do good things, not when we tried to get God to notice me over here, not when I started holding my mouth just right, standing just right, acting just right, talking just right, and then saying, God, do you accept me now? No, no, no. That's not when he chose to love me. He chose to love me and chose to love you when we were dead in our trespasses. When we were dead in our trespasses, he said, okay, I'm choosing to love you right in the middle of your mess. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You see, that's when he made us alive together with Christ, out of the tomb, raised to new life, now in the present tense. He did this for his glory so he could show the riches and the kindness of his grace and his love towards us in Christ Jesus. I, I sat down with my kids last night, and I knew I was going to be teaching on this, and I'd been preparing all week, so it was already on my heart. 
And I sat down with my kids and my wife at the dinner table, and we opened up scripture, and I wanted to just share some things with them in the scripture. And I asked my kids this. I asked them, do you guys understand what grace is? Like, do you really understand what that word means? Do you know what grace means? And they gave me their understanding and their definition from a 13-year-old perspective and an 11-year-old perspective, you know. And they gave me their perspectives on what they thought grace was. And I wanted to try to find a way to help them understand and grasp how great this gift of grace was. And God gave me a great illustration as I just kind of started talking to my kids. And so I want to share it with you today. As I was sitting there talking to my kids, I told them, I said, guys, imagine if mom and dad had to go away and run some errands and we left you guys at home. And we told you guys, okay, we're going to be back in a couple hours. And while we're gone, we want you guys to get a few things done in the house. Like, we're going to ask you to make sure the living room's clean by the time we get back. And no TV till the living room's clean and the dishes are done. I want everything to look good. Now, you know the rules. Don't eat or drink in the living room, right? That's one of our rules. Uh, so if you have a snack or something, you can have it at the table, but clean up after yourselves. When we come back, we're going to like watch a family movie or something together, okay? And, and I, I was explaining this to my kids last night. I said, what if I told you guys that? And then mom and dad go away, and you guys completely disobeyed everything we had just said. What if you had broken the TV into a thousand pieces because you guys started tossing like a baseball around or something, and, and, and Josiah decides to throw it really hard, and it hits the TV accidentally, and it just breaks. My expensive flat screen TV just shattered. And then they, they, they think, oh, well, I'm just going to do what I want because I want to eat popsicles on the new couch. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And they start eating popsicles on the new couch. And I'm telling my kids this, and their eyes are like just getting like huge. And they're like going, oh, my gosh. And so, and then you guys drip, you know, the color of the popsicle all over the couch. And then you just throw the sticks everywhere. And then you go get soda. And then you spill it all over the, the couch and all over the carpet. And it's completely messed, completely trash. None of the dishes are done. As a matter of fact, you pile up more dishes and they're broken. You, you broke some of them because you didn't care for them. You didn't care. And all this happened within a two-hour span. And then you hear the garage door open. And you know that dad's coming in. I said, what are your first thoughts? They said, we're dead. <laughs> and I said, but after I walk in and I see all the mess that you've made, and I see how not only did you not do what I asked you to do, you went the other direction and you completely destroyed everything in just a matter of a couple of hours. You were so rebellious towards the instructions that I gave you that you made this huge mess. And then I look at each one of you and I hand you each a thousand dollars. I said, how would you feel about that? My daughter Abigail said, confused. I said, yeah, you would be confused. I said, why would you be confused? Because we, we, didn't, we didn't deserve that. I said, okay, okay, what did you deserve? To be punished. We deserve to be, I said, oh yeah. You definitely deserve to be punished because not only did you not do what you were told to do, but you went and did extra. You were completely rebellious and you made a huge mess and destroyed it. I said, and then what if, not only did I hand you a thousand dollars, but what if I started cleaning up the mess and you didn't have to? I said, how would you feel then? She said, thankful? I said, yeah. You'd feel real thankful. 
And what if I never mentioned it again? What if I didn't hold that instance over your head and I didn't mention it to you ever again? What if I said, that's over with, that's done with, and I gave you something you didn't deserve and I did something for you that you couldn't have done uh, in your own strength. You couldn't have ever paid me back or, or, or matter of fact, I gave you something you didn't even deserve. Because I told him, I said, my son, I said, Josiah, when you mow the yard and I tell you, hey, I'll give you $10 for mowing the yard, when you're done mowing the yard and you're all hot and sweaty, you got your hand out, right? Because you're going, I'm hot and sweaty, I want my $10, like, like I earned this, where's my money? Why? Because you earned that. And that's called a wage. And I told him, I said, when you get a job, you're going to expect a wage from your employer, compensation for your time and your energy and your effort. You're going to expect that. And you, you, you would hope that, that that person that had employed you would be just and would give you what you had deserved, what you earned. And I said, the Bible says the wages or the earnings of sin is death. That's what Bi the Bible says. And every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have all, by what Scripture says, the wages of sin, the earnings of sin, our rebellion, we deserve death. But thank God that's not the end. Because Scripture says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's a gift. And I, I went further and I told my kids last night, I said, guys, I want you to understand grace. So when it's Christmas time and when I give you a gift, I said, when you open the present and you're so filled with joy, do I tell you to go outside and shovel snow to pay me back for that? And they said, no. And I said, because if I did, it would cease to be a gift and it would then become a reward for a wage. The thing is, is that this grace thing is a gift that is from God. And I said, why would I do that for you? Why would I give you something after you'd been so horrible? And they said, because you love us. And I said, that's right. And all you would have to do is trust that I'm good and trust that I made a way for that to be forgiven, for this to be remembered no more, and for you to just love me because I've done something for you that you did not deserve, that you did not earn, that you couldn't work for. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. Are you catching this today? You see, the reason the good news is so good is because we're aware of how bad the bad news is. The problem in America with us, though, is that we miss the mark because we think we're good going into this. We think we're good going into this. We think, I'm a pretty good person and I'm going to enhance my goodness by going to church. I'll enhance my goodness by giving money to the church. I'll enhance my goodness by taking communion. I'll enhance my goodness by getting baptized. I'll enhance my goodness by reading scripture. And we think we started with the wrong premise. We started out thinking we were good and we're wrong. And that's where pride gets in the way, and that's where works gets in the way of the church, and we think we can earn this thing from God, and we can impress God with how long we prayed and how impressive our prayer was. We think we can impress God with how long, how many times we've read the Bible, how much time we spent in the Word, and God's like, I'm not impressed. Do you see your need? There is a man that approached Jesus. We call him the rich young ruler. And he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus got this dude picked out of a crowd. Because when he comes up to Jesus, he says, Hey, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? In other words, he's calling him good teacher. He's trying to get in on the good side. He's trying to earn some favor with him, right? Hey, good teacher, 
He says, why do you call me good? He said, there is no one good except God. And then the guy doesn't get it. <laughs> He's still focused on his own goodness. He says, tell me, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, do you know the commandments? He, oh, oh, yeah, I know the commandments. Like, I am Mr. Commandment. I know them. I got the commandments. Guy might have rolled up his sleeve. I got him tattooed all over here. I love the commandments. I, he said, I've kept them since I was a kid. I've kept the commandments since, I was, since my youth, is what he told Jesus. And Jesus said, good. That's awesome. Good for you. Here's your gold star. And Jesus said, okay. So you've kept the commandments. Man, that's really good. If you want to be perfect, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible says he walked away sad because he had many possessions. Now, what was Jesus doing? Was Jesus telling us all to sell everything and give it all the poor? No, he was exposing what really had the man's heart. He was exposing where this guy's loyalty really lied. It wasn't in pleasing God. It was in being okay, being good enough. It was a security blanket. It was a false security. It was something where he thought, because I kept the commandments, I'm good. He's like, no, you're not good. Because for the good news of the gospel to be good, you got to first realize you're not good. And once you realize you're not good, and then Jesus becomes good, and God becomes good, and you're like, thank you, Lord, I could have never done this on my own because I'm the one who made the mess. And you're the one who gave me something I didn't deserve. Instead of me getting death, instead of me getting the wrath of God, I get love. I get called no longer a, a, a slave to my sin, but I get called a child of God where I can cry out, Abba, Father, what? That is good news. And if you are a Christ follower, you never get tired of hearing that message because you know how good our God is. If you are caught up in trying to earn your way to heaven and to earn your way into God's grace, then this message is very confusing for you because you think you've already done it. You think you're good enough. You think, I've already heard this. I don't, this gospel message, I know that, Pastor. Why don't we talk about something else? Let's talk about something that would be really impressive, something I haven't, I, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. No, if you can say, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that doesn't excite you, then I don't know if you know Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Because have you repented? Have you turned? Have you walked away from this former life and embraced the new life that is now hidden in Christ? Because God's love doesn't just change our future, it changes our present. Changes are now. You see, let's pick it back up in verse 8. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. And it's not your own doing. It's not a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are his good workmanship. He's, he's being glorified through your life and through my life. And let me tell you, folks, here, it's not anything we did on our own. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. Amen, somebody. You see, this is where our security should be. Our security should be in the fact that God loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were dead. He loves me right now, and if I have received that free gift of grace, I am saved from the wrath and eternal separation from God. And I should be overjoyed about that. I should be grateful for that. 
because I realized how bad the bad news is, and the good news is so sweet, there's no better news. You could win the lottery. Oh, wow, that's great. It doesn't matter if my eternity is not with Christ. It doesn't matter if someone comes and writes you a $100 billion check. The better news is still the gospel. Amen? It doesn't matter if the love of your life shows up on your front door, wish you off your feet, and wants to marry you, and you guys live happily ever after. If you don't know Christ, are you hearing me? That's not the best news. The best news is Jesus Christ himself died, took the punishment you deserve, that I deserved. So we don't have to. That's the gospel. That's the goodness of God. And here's what grace says. It says, you are a part of the family even when you stumble. Because we are still going to stumble. We are not perfect. We are still going to stumble. God's, God's grace is his favor, his love, his acceptance when I deserve it the least. And I only get this grace because of Jesus. I am sharing in the righteousness of Christ. The Bible calls us a joint heir with Christ. If I am born again, if I am made new, I am made alive in Christ. So here's my question for you today. Are you a part of God's family? This is the question that I have for you. And before you jump and you make a quick answer and you want to just move on and complete the doodle that you're working on, <laughs> listen to me. Are you sharing in the family of Christ? Are you born again? Are you a son or daughter of God? And then how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? I was thinking about this, and this is a dumb thing to think about, but I thought about this movie. It came out in like 99, um, and it was kind of an adventure comedy, um, Brendan Fraser, The Mummy. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it's a dumb movie, and it's a funny movie um, that there's this character that I thought about when I was preparing this message this week, and this character came to mind from this movie. His name's Benny, and Benny's like this sleazeball, right, in the movie. And so what Benny would do is that, is that he got in a situation where he got backed into a corner, and here comes the bad guy knocking at his door, and he doesn't know how to get rid of the bad guy. So what does Benny do? He pulls out this necklace that he's got. He pulls it out from, his, from underneath his shirt, and it's got every religious symbol you could think of on it. And he starts praying every single religious prayer, and he goes through them systematically. He goes through one, oh, that didn't work, he's still coming. He goes through another one, oh, that didn't work, he's still coming. He'll, he, over and over and over again, dude's looking for something so he can feel safe, so he can know he's okay, and he's just trying to, uh, to trust and hope in this religion when it's convenient. And I thought about this because is this not what we do so many times in our lives? Just like Benny, we pull it out and we say, oh yeah, God, I need you to help me with this. I need you to be real in my life now. I need you right now. No, 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 no. If you have received the gospel, you realize you always need Christ, not just in the moment when the heat's on. You need him all the time. You never stop needing Jesus. It's not like, oh yeah, I said the prayer. I did the baptism thing. Oh yeah, I got confirmed. Oh yeah, I had the communion. Oh yeah, I'm good. I, got, I joined the church. I'm good. No, no, no. It's not I'm good. It's he's good and I need him. And that's the whole thing. When, the, when I start thinking I'm good, I'm in trouble. Hello, somebody. When I start thinking I'm good, I'm in trouble. It's not 
greater is me that is in me than he that is in the world. It's greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? It's not dependent upon me, and I need to recognize that because just like in that movie, that was meant to get a cheap laugh, but I'll tell you, people put their security of being saved in a ritual of some words that they've recited in some symbol or in church membership or in baptism or in receiving communion or in good deeds or generosity or in clean living. But in the end, if they have not experienced the power of the grace of God on their lives, they're trying to earn something that cannot be earned. There's no power in the form. And, and this is the scripture that scares me, you guys. I read this scripture and... Um, I read the scripture, and this has been weighing on me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy, a young minister, and he's trying to give him some instruction on how to lead the church that he's responsible for leading. And this is what Paul says. He's wanting to give him a warning. He says, understand this, Timothy. He's saying, listen, in the last days, there's going to come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. Now, here's the part about this that bothers me. And I, I've read this scripture over and over. I have preached this scripture. This is, uh, this is my 19th year of being a pastor. And I have used this scripture so many times in so many sermons, but this jumped off the pages to me in a different way when I was studying and preparing for this message than any time I'd ever read it. And the part that bothered me about that jumped off the page was this. How on earth could these people having all of this wickedness that they're harboring have a form of godliness. How could they have a form of godliness? Because they're really good at pretending. Or because they think they're good. Or because they think that they're trusting in the fact that they checked all the boxes. I went through the laundry list, did all the things I was supposed to do. Yeah, so I'm good, I'm okay. But then they go out and live all these different ways that are not conducive to someone who has been transformed by the power of God. He said they have a form of godliness. They have a form of godliness, but they're still okay with sin. It doesn't mean they don't sin. It doesn't mean they don't stumble because we all are going to stumble and we're all going to sin. It's just, am I okay with it or not? If I'm okay with it because, hey, everybody's doing it, it's no big deal. At least I'm better than so-and-so. Now I'm back into earning it again. You see how quick that is? You see how slick that is? You see how sneaky the enemy can be? Oh, at least I'm doing better than my brother. At least I'm doing better than my sister. At least I'm doing better than my parents did. At least I'm doing better than my neighbor. I mean, come on. Like, have you heard those guys yell and fight next door? It's crazy. At least I know I'm doing better than them. And we get into comparing ourselves with other people, so we think we're good because we don't have the same struggle someone else has. And we're putting our hope in the fact that we're good again. And we're going, well, I'm good. And we miss the fact that, no, none are good except God. And then we miss the gospel because we miss this fact that the bad news has to be bad for the good news to be good because we think we're on the good guy's team. We think we're good. And, and here's the thing. 
when we remember and we see what Paul is trying to help us to see, the goodness of the gospel not only saves us, but it sustains us. It helps us to grow in Christ's likeness and godliness and holiness because we begin to lose our taste for the things that used to bring us satisfaction because we are no longer by nature children of wrath. We are no longer children of the prince of the power of the air. No, 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 no. We have received a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. He is my heavenly Father, and He loves me, and He has sent His only Son on my behalf to take the punishment for my sin. And so, yes, I confess that. I acknowledge that. I believe that in my heart, but then it changes me. And it continually changes me because the more I pursue God, and the more I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the more, <clears throat> the more God starts taking care of all the things I was trying to fix. That's what scripture says. In Matthew 6 and 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. I love the way that the Amplified Bible says, because it says all of these things will happen as a matter of course. It will come out of the overflow. The overflow of what? Seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. Putting my righteousness being secured in Christ, not in my own version of righteousness. But how can we have an appearance of godliness but having no power? Because it is through the grace of God that the power of Christ is revealed in us. It is while we were dead in sin. That's where the power of God can transform us and make us new. We are saved by grace alone. The security blanket has no power to protect me in the end because at the end of the day, guess what? It's just a blanket. Your striving at the end of the day is just your works, trying to earn something or impress God. He isn't impressed. You haven't won over God to forgive you and cleanse you, to make you new or to be called his son or daughter by your effort because at the end of the day, it's just a security blanket. Your religious rituals can just be another security blanket. So what can we do? You can trust in Christ alone and the sacrifice that he made on the cross because scripture alone reveals our need and the answer is Jesus. And through faith alone, we receive this free gift of grace. We receive grace by faith. So this is the question that I want to be ringing in your ears, whether you're here in the room, whether you're out in the commons. I, listen, I don't care if you've been coming to church your whole life. I was a church kid. I was raised in church. I get it. I mean, I was raised up in a, in a Christian home with Christian parents. And let me tell you, we listened to Christian music in the car. We were jamming out to this, this Christian kid song called The Donut Man and Salty the Psalm Book. <laughs> singing songs that rhymed about how much Jesus loved us. And that's how I grew up, you guys. But just because I was raised in a Christian environment does not make me Christian. Hello? No more than me being raised in, in, in any, any environment would make me that. No, I have to choose and decide to follow Christ. And my kids are going to have to choose on their own. Just because they're pastor's kids, they're not guaranteed a one-way ticket to heaven. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't guarantee, guarantee me a one-way ticket to heaven. Oh, snap. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that means I have to examine myself, too. to make sure that I'm in the faith, as Paul said. He said, examine yourself, test whether or not. Are, are you in the faith? 
How do we know? Am I, am I bearing fruit? Does my spirit bear witness with the Holy Spirit of God that I belong to Him, that I'm a child of God? Have I trusted in Christ alone? Have I trusted Him? Have I believed in my heart? Have I confessed with my mouth? Not just one time at church camp, but am I living a life of believing in my heart and confessing with my mouth? Because here's the deal. If I really believe this stuff, I need to tell other people about it because it's too good not to share. It is too good not to share, and it's the only thing that's going to change and alter someone's eternity and their present. My goodness, we'll get more excited and share the latest restaurant that opened up, and we'll share more about the latest movies that came out and tell people they got to go watch this and eat here and do this and have you experience this, and we get more excited about that than we do changing people's eternity, which makes me go, have we received grace by faith? Because is it that good to us? Because if it's good to us, we can't help but share it. Because anything that I experience that's good, I'll, I'll tell everybody. But am I sharing Christ with others? Is Christ genuinely good to me? I say yes because I'm afraid to say no because I'm in church and I don't want others to think poorly of me. But do I really believe that? Here's the thing. Are you saved from God's just wrath to those who choose self-rule over submission to Christ? Are you saved from that? Are you secure in your salvation? If you have received grace by faith, the good works you do, because we should do good works. James writes a whole thing about good works. We should do good works, but it comes out of the overflow of knowing Him. Our works aren't a pathway to Him, but rather the good things we do, the philanthropic things we do, the generous things we do, they come out of the overflow of knowing him because I can't help myself but want to do this. Because I told my kids, I said, if I did all those things for you after you had made such a mess and I gave you something you didn't deserve, I said, how would you want to respond to me? What would, you, what, what, would your, what would you think about your dad? You'd think, wow, he really loves us and I would be really thankful. Don't you think that's how we should live every day in our lives? Not, I read my Bible because I'm supposed to, but I read God's Word because I'm thankful and I want to know this God more. Not, I want to pray because I'm supposed to. I, I can't wait to pray and talk in fellowship with God because Jesus has made a way. And, 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 I, and I, I have not just a form, but I have power because of Christ. You see, where I'm not okay with sin anymore, I, I still may make mistakes, I still may stumble, but I'm not okay with it, I'm not going to justify it. That's how you know you're a Christ follower, is that you go, I'm not okay with this, because God's not okay with this. Doesn't mean I don't trip up, don't make mistakes, but I know, 1 John 1, 9, that He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness when I do what? When I confess my sin. And I think that confession and repentance should be an ongoing process of a person who is in Christ. Matter of fact, that's part of the fruit you know that you are saved. If you're defending your sin instead of repenting over your sin, are you saved? Are you wrestling with your sin? Or are you confessing it? And saying, Lord, I want to repent. I want to confess. I want to turn away from this thing because I want to live in a way that's going to honor you and please you, point other people to you. I'm not there yet. I, I haven't figured all this stuff out yet, and I still got my flaws just like everybody else. But I'm clinging tightly to the cross of Christ. The more that I know him, the tighter I cling. The tighter I hold on to Jesus' cross because he's the one who paid the price for your sin and my sin. He's why I'm free, not because of what I did. Come on, somebody.
here's the thing. If we're not experiencing that, I just want us to ask ourselves this question. Have we received grace by faith? Because if you have, you should be different. Your concerns should begin to shift. What you agree with should begin to shift. It may not all happen at once. I get that. But things should begin to shift in your life. Your desires will begin to be altered as you grow in Christ because you won't be okay with sin anymore. You won't just be tolerating it. You'll begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, it's the result of. That's what fruit is. It's the result of what? Whatever life is in that tree, the fruit is the result of. So everybody's trying to fix everything from the outside in. They want to they want help with this fruit. How, how do I clean up this fruit? How do I clean up that fruit? How do I make this fruit better? The only way to make the fruit better is to deal with the root. Doesn't nature teach us that? Isn't that something we can clearly see? Just in gardening and taking care of plants and vegetables and, and fruit-bearing trees, can't we see that? Why would we think it would be any different? Because if we don't have Jesus at the center, then we're just another self-help organization, and I'm not into that. I'm sorry, I'm not into that. So if you want to come here to learn how to have a happier, better, cleaner version of whatever life you're living now, uh, I'm not into that. I'm into pointing people to Jesus and let Jesus create through the Holy Spirit the fruit in your life that's going to please the Father. If, if you want a stronger, happier marriage, two people pursuing Jesus Christ, I promise you, you will change. If you want better kids and you want to ha be a, a better parent, Pursue Jesus with everything in your being. I'm telling you, Jesus is where it's at. Oh, yeah, but Jesus plus the self-help help section. No, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If, if you've got a problem, you've got something, stop trying to fix the fruit. Jesus is wanting to deal with the root, and that's your heart. You see, the same grace that saves us also sustains us to grow in Christ's likeness through this journey of sanctification. It shows a watching world what God can do through us for His glory, and it points other people to Jesus. So, have you received grace by faith? Have you been born again? Have you received that free gift? Don't tell me what you did as a kid. Don't tell me this, this thing or that thing. Have you encountered the risen Savior, has He changed your life? If so, are you seeking to know Him more? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Or did you start off in this thing thinking you were good? And then Jesus just is like sprinkling, you know, a little bit of that good enhancement in your life to give you life 2.0. Is Jesus just the seasoning? Is He the flavor? Or is He the main thing? Is He just the... The, the little extra side. Let me tell you, folks, I, I don't want us to be a people who has a form of godliness, but we don't have any life-transforming power of God living and working in us because we will fool ourselves and we will also fool other people into thinking that this is the path, this is the way. Just outdo the wrong you've done. Just be a good person. Show up for all the right things. Check all the boxes. Do all the stuff you're supposed to do, and you're gold. And I just care way too much about you to let you go on thinking that way. 
And so teaching things like this and teaching Jesus, let me tell you, it's harder, but it's true. I would rather preach truth than preach whatever would tickle your ears this morning. If you want somebody to tickle your ears, go to another place because there will be plenty on every street corner that will tickle, 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 tickle. <laughs> and if you want to be tickled, you are in the wrong place. If you want the truth that's going to change your eternity, go to the source. Amen? Amen? The Word of God. It is Scripture alone, by faith alone, and it is grace alone that saves us. And it is His grace, the free gift that he's given us. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for everyone who has been able to hear your truth of your gospel message preached today. And I pray that it will be good news to those of us who know that you are our only hope and that it will also become good news to those who may have been trusting in their own strength and in their own riches and in their own measure of success. And they have had their eyes opened. They have had their hearts shaken. You have drawn them by your kindness of your Holy Spirit to a place of repentance today. And I pray they would be able to repent and turn away from their former way of thinking where they put their hope and their security in the wrong things. And now you're calling them to put their hope and trust in Christ alone. God, help us to do this because we need you to open our eyes, to soften our hearts because we're bombarded with messages in this world. We are bombarded with messages, God. We are bombarded with so many different ways of thinking and, and it's so easy to just a la carte and pick from the list what we want to do. But God, open our eyes to see the truth of Scripture, the unapologetic, absolute truth of the Word of God. And I pray your Holy Spirit opens eyes of people today. They can see that truth and that they can be saved today. That they can come to faith in Christ today. That they can no longer be deceived by trusting in their own past or trusting in their own quote-unquote goodness, Lord. Help us to see, Lord, that it is only your goodness that has saved us. It is only your grace. And anything good that comes out of me is because of Jesus on the inside of me. Help us to see that today more clearly than ever before. May you bring us peace and security in Christ alone through the scriptures, through the faith that the scripture stirs, and through the grace that we now receive as the free gift. We thank you, Lord, for your glory. Save people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?